morning. If you guys would join me as uh, we continue our, our study through the book of Luke. We're in chapter 16. I'll be in verse 1 through 18 this morning. If you don't have your Bibles, just follow along with the screen. Um, all right. And he also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charged were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and he said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the accounts of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to him, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtor, one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to the other, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commanded the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. And then you have not been faithful in, that, in the righteousness wealth. Who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these sayings, and they ridiculed him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before man, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for this opportunity we have today to just gather here freely and to better understand your word. Lord, I just uh, pray that you open up our eyes to see, soften our hearts, open up our minds, and uh, allow us to be alert. And I just ask for anointing on Pastor Jackie this morning as he, uh, he just d- dives into the Word for us and uh, helps us explain your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. So if we're honest, how many people are confused now? Okay, when we come to Luke chapter 16, we're still following the same period of teaching we started way back in 15, which started prior to that, 
when Jesus sat down to eat with the Pharisees. Everybody with me? He sat down to eat with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees said, Why is it that these outcasts are coming to you? Why aren't you just satisfied with having us? The Pharisees. And so he began to tell them stories, right? Remember, he starts with a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, but one's missing, and he does what? Leaves the 99, goes and finds the one, brings them back, right? And then everybody's rejoicing. And the whole point of that story, Jesus is saying, you guys, Pharisees, ought to be rejoicing that the outcasts are coming. Why are you mad? Then he tells uh, the second story, just like the first. A lady had ten coins, she lost one. Overturns her house until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls all her friends to come over and rejoice because what was lost has been found. Again, illustrating the, the reality. These who you call outcasts are coming. Heaven is rejoicing at their repentance. Why is it that the, those who were deemed to be the religious, those who were deemed to be the, the, the authority over the word, wouldn't rejoice? Then he tells a story, getting a little more in tune with it, the parable of the two sons. Right? You guys remember last week, had a younger son and an older son? The younger son was the outcast, right? He took dad's money, went, spent it. He's the prodigal. He, he messed all that stuff up, right? It was easy to see his own brokenness and sin. His sin was evident on the outside. But when that son returns and he's welcomed in by the father, what does the older son do? He's guilty of the same stuff. He's, he's still disregarding the father. He's still standing outside. He's still, he still has the exact same attitude the younger had, but he can't see it. His brokenness or sin is covered by the statement that he could make where he said, I've always done whatever you told me to do. And you're letting that guy in. I don't understand why. But the problem was the older son is just as separated from the father as the younger and he's in need of coming to the Father. That's why the story ends with the Father saying what? Come to the feast. I want you there. God wants the Pharisee there. God wants the self-righteous there. He wants them there. But they've got to lay down that attitude of self-righteousness in order to enter. And then he's still continuing in that same vein. The Pharisees are there It's during the same teaching. He tells another parable, gets a little bit more. Each one is going to take us a little bit closer to the bullseye of what's going on in the heart of the Pharisees. So he tells the parable now the, of the unjust steward, the cheating manager, the guy who is embezzling from his boss, and his boss finds out about it. And so tomorrow he says, you're going to give account. There will be a final accounting. The point of this parable is not to see what a despicable man does when he's backed up against the wall. The point of the parable is to say, if you knew, listen, if you knew that you're going to give an account, what would you do? Now you have the... the Tax collectors, the prostitutes, they're, what are they doing? 
There's an accounting coming. What are they doing? Oh, Lord, save us. Yes? They're coming down on their knees. They're coming before the Lord. God, I'm a mess. I'm, I'm broken. I was, I'm not worthy to be called your son, like the younger son. Yeah? But now, standing over on the side, you have these other guys who can't see that the day of accounting is coming, and they're in trouble. And all they can do is point at the ones who are doing something about it while they stand there and do nothing. Jesus lays out this parable for us. Look at verse 1. He said to the disciples, now everybody's still there. There was a rich man who had a manager. The charges were brought to him that this man is wasting his possessions. Same exact word used of the younger son when he took his father's wealth and spent it all. This guy is wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be the manager. Now the point is, from the point that he finds out he's in trouble until his giving of the final accounting, there's a space of time. There's an opportunity to respond. Do something when you find yourself in trouble. Do something for your future is the point of the story. This guy did something. He didn't just stand on the back and look at somebody else. He responds. And I think the point is, Jesus looking at the Pharisees saying, they're coming up in repentance. Why won't you? Why won't you repent? Why won't you come? Why won't you hear the call? We know that some Pharisees did, don't we? In a few chapters, we're going to get to the the burial of Christ, and he's going to be buried in whose tomb? Joseph of Arimathea, right? Yeah, who's part of the ruling council. That means he's, he's part of these guys. You also got Nick, Nick at night, right? Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. You guys never heard that before? It's easier to say Nick at night than Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes and he questions Jesus. We know he's one who's going to come, right? He's going to respond. I think this is the point that he's getting to. This final accounting to me is the key, right? What are you doing for your final accounting? Are you ready to stand before the Lord? If your answer is, I'm ready because of all these great things I've done, you're missing the boat. You need to be ready the way we're going to see in a a couple of weeks. You need to be ready the way Zacchaeus was. Man, I'm a mess, Lord. But you're willing to come to my house? Behold, I stand at the door and knock, Revelation tells us. If you will open the door, what does God promise? I'll come in and sup with you and you with me. Communion. We'll have communion together. 1 Peter 4 5 says, They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The point of this parable is we are all the guilty accountant. Is there anybody, is there really anybody here who can say that everything that God has given me, I have have been a good steward of it all? I can't. I can't say everything that, because what does the Bible tell me? Is it all my stuff? How did I get it? The Bible says the world is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything on this earth belongs to God. And he has made us stewards of his wealth, his 
his stuff. And so the point is, yeah, I'm guilty. What am I going to do about it? How am I going to respond to the concept that there is a judgment? I'm facing a judgment. So look at verse 3. So the manager says to himself, what must I, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. So I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one he said to them, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. Roughly 875 gallons. Just so you know, that's a lot. Just in case you're thinking, Well, it doesn't seem like all that much. Now I want you to put yourself back in the time of Jesus. How many guys do you think were walking around buying 875 gallons of oil? Just walk through Jerusalem and have some guy. And, and this is not the only guy. He's settling accounts with all kinds of people, right? So what we know about the master is the master has incredible wealth, right? The master has incredible wealth. And a lot of people, when they come to this parable, they want to treat it a lot of different ways because they don't like the fact that the guy's a booger. Okay? The guy's a crook. The guy's a crook. I'm not going to try to tell you, well, what he was doing was not charging them the interest that was unlawfully being charged. You know why I'm not going to tell you that? Because it doesn't say it. You guys know that, that we're bound to what the Word of God says, not, not what it doesn't say. God's not asking me to come and import some concept into it so that it makes more sense to me. He's telling me this guy was facing judgment. He responded. The question is, you're facing judgment, will you respond? What will you do? If an unjust, good-for-nothing accountant will find a way, you won't. What is it that Jesus taught a couple of chapters earlier? Stay with me. He said this, strive to enter the narrow gate. How did he say it? Strive to enter. Are you willing to strive to enter? Or does it just not matter? Are we, are, we, are we facing a relationship with God with apathy? You guys know what I mean by apathy? I just don't care. I just, who cares? It'll all work out in the end. My good stuff will be better than my bad stuff. Then I'm just like the Pharisees standing on the side, watching people striving to enter the kingdom of God, coming to Jesus and complaining about the kind of people who are coming. Will I respond to the reality that I stand guilty before my master. And what would I do? What would you do in order to make it right? I want you to see what this guy does. Who's paying the price? He ain't. The master is, isn't he? Yeah, he's working a deal off of the master's blood. No, he comes up and says, well, how much do you owe 875 gallons? Well, cut it in half. He gives him a 50% break. That's a little more than taxes, don't you think? 50% break. Then we have a guy coming up with wheat, right? We see the same thing with the wheat. Take a look at it. It says, another came to him. He said, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat. So he said to him, take your bill, write down 80. Well, how come the guy with wheat only got a 
20, break a 20, and the other guy got to break a 50. Well, here's what you discover. You dig a little bit deeper into it. The value of the wheat and the value of the oil, the cut was the same. Roughly 500 denarii, or nearly two years' wages. So if you want to kind of put it in dollars and cents, it doesn't really matter. But just figure out what you make a year, double it. That's what this guy was giving the people a break on. I'll give you a break. Now, why was he giving that break? Because the master's going to put him out. The master's going to say, you don't got a job. And when he finds himself out on the street, where do you think he's going to go? Hey, you guys remember, (laughs) I hooked you up. I'm looking for a job as a steward. He says, there will be somebody there. There will be somebody there for me when he he comes, when he looks, when he sees. So he goes on in verse 8. We begin to see the application now. We begin to see the application. What's happening? Stay with me. So the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. The master, the guy who's firing him. All he's left with is saying, man, hey. You did something. You responded to the condition. You guys with me? You responded to the condition you were in. Now keep bringing that back to the reality of what's happening around Jesus. You got tax collectors and sinners coming forward. They're responding. Right? They're responding. Can they do anything to fix themselves? No. What do they do? They come to the master. But you have a group that won't. They won't respond. They pretend like everything's okay. They stand in their holy dress. They stand looking nice. They're doing good things. All the things that everybody should do. Nobody would have, if you and I could go back, we would not have drove by a Pharisee and said, well, there's a dirt bag. It was the dirt bags that were coming forward that were responding. So the master says, you responded shrewdly, prudently. Prudently, you saw there was a problem and you did something about it. So he commends them that he did something. Now look what Jesus says. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. He's saying that the sons of the world, people who are lost, have a concept that if something is bad, if something is wrong, I need to do something about it. And the sons of this world are willing to do that. But the sons of light, they don't. Why not? I'm reminded of this incredible story in the Bible. You guys, I can't remember all the names, so I might make them up to protect the innocent. We'll see. That's probably bad if it's in the Bible. You guys will tell me. One of you guys will shout it out. There is a guy who had leprosy. Switch. That's not enough. Naaman. Naaman has leprosy. A little Hebrew girl hears he's got leprosy and says, you know, there's a prophet in Israel. If you'll go to the prophet in Israel, he can, I mean, God talks through him. He could heal you. So he gathers up this this huge train and he he brings all this stuff because who knows how much this is going to cost, right? You've got to have a bunch of silver and gold and livestock and he hauls it all down and he comes to the prophet's house and the prophet won't even come out and talk to him prophet's helper comes out man i i got 
I got leprosy. I, I came for a healing. So he goes back in and tells the prophet, oh, we got a Gentile out there. He's a mess. Got leprosy. What, 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 what should we do? When we send him away, what do we do? You know, just tell him to go wash in the Jordan River. Go wash in the Jordan River. So they go tell him, go. He says, go wash in the Jordan River. Go, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And he goes away mad. That's stupid. Go wash in the river. I could have washed in better rivers where I'm from. Why would I wash in the Jordan? You ever seen the Jordan? I bet it looked the same back then as it does now. How many of you guys have been baptized in the Jordan? How many want to be? No? It's awesome, man. Just so you know, don't be thinking crystal clear. <laughs> yeah? Flowing mud is a little closer. Why would I go wash in the Jordan? It's dumb river. I mean, he's mad. And he's going back. And, and one of the guy's servants says to him, If the prophet had told you to do something more radical, more difficult, harder, would you have done it? Sure. Well, why not just go wash in the Jordan then? Okay. So he goes and washes in the Jordan, and he's cleansed. The point is not what you do. The point is responding to what God is asking of you. God's not asking for the Pharisees to do anything more than to acknowledge, just like the tax collectors and the sinner, that they're sinners. That they're broken. That they need to humbly bow before God and declare themselves, have mercy on me, a sinner. In a little while, Jesus is going to talk about a tax collector and a Pharisee going down to pray. You remember the prayers? The Pharisee prays, I'm sure glad, God, thank you for not making me like that guy. The tax collector says, have mercy on me, a sinner. Which one goes away forgiven? The tax collector. Do you see the point of the story? The sons of the darkness, they'll respond. They'll do whatever. The sons of the light. What was it that the Pharisees would declare themselves to be to all the people? If you want to know... How to walk in the light, we'll show you. Right or wrong? The Pharisees would have said, oh, let me show you what, look, what walking in the light looks like. Let me show you what being a believer looks like. Let me show you how you dress. Let me show you how you speak. Let me show you all of these things. But they could never acknowledge themselves as a sinner. So while judgment looms, Jesus headed to the cross... Judgment is coming on the nation. Judgment is coming on the Pharisees. Judgment is coming upon every man, right? One day we'll all stand before God to whom we all will give account. And so as that's looming, is there any response of my inadequacy? I don't have any problem looking at a holy God and saying, God, I need you. Because if you don't save me, then nothing I do will. I need you. But the Pharisee couldn't say that, could he? They couldn't look at Jesus and and say what the leper said. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me... Oh, no. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. that That would admit that I'm... Oh, you can't do that. And so Jesus is laying out this parable. He's saying, man, I tell you, 
Listen to what he says. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. What in the world is he talking about? I don't understand what you're saying. Let me help you. You guys know that, that the Bible's a translation, right? And so translations are challenged sometimes by giving the thought. Like this would maybe have been understood back a ways, but today I'm struggling with what does he mean by unrighteous wealth? Here's another way to translate unrighteous wealth. You ready? Worldly possessions. Well, that's less complicated, isn't it? Let's see. So I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of your worldly possessions. So then when it fails, what's going to fail? Yeah, they all burn, don't they? Anybody bought a new car that stayed a new car forever? No? Come on, I was hoping somebody would tell me. Jackie, if you buy this truck, you won't be able to wreck it. How long did I have that Dodge before my wife wrecked it? I don't even think we had plates on it yet. In fact, you know the really sad part? That after we got it fixed, I wrecked it. No, you don't have to say worse. You don't have to say worse. I just want you to know, total, total side note. Kathy creamed the whole bed of the, of the truck, and it cost less than the tailgate. The tailgate that I crushed was less, or cost more money, substantially more, than the eight-foot-long scrape and dent she put along the bed. There is no justice in the world. Unless Kathy was up here talking, in which case she would say, there is justice. So, we find ourselves in that place. So what is he saying? He's saying, how do you use your worldly possessions? How are you using your worldly possessions? Use them in a way to make friends. To make friends just like the unjust steward did. Now think again, the unjust steward was going to face judgment and be put out. And he needed somebody to meet him there where he was put out that would be able to take care of him. So how is it that we can use our worldly possessions? Our worldly possessions are, have no, there's no morality statement for it. The unrighteous wealth or the unrighteous riches is just the idea that this is not from heaven. This is earthly what do we do with our earthly things? What are we going to do with our earthly things so that we can or that we will receive eternal dwellings? Sometimes we, we look at the reality of the things we have and we think that's how we keep score. And the more things I have, obviously the more blessed I am, right? Not necessarily. Certainly not in this story, right? Pharisees had more than those people who were coming to Jesus. Use your worldly possessions so that when they fail, your worldly possessions, you, they may, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Let me put it another way. Live your life 
like a son of the light. Not just saying you're a son of the light. How do I know you're living the life of a son of the light? Is it, is it that if the Pharisees gave all their wealth away? Remember the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. Stay with me. Rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, What must I do to be accepted, Lord? What do I got to do? What did Jesus say to the rich young ruler? Take all your stuff, give it away to the poor, and come and follow me. And the rich young ruler goes away. Was it because if I, if I give away everything I have... And I give it all to the poor. Do I receive salvation? Is that how I get saved? Or is it when I'm saved, when God is in that rightful place in my life, my worldly possessions don't seem to have the same luster anymore? I'm not living for my possessions. Now my possessions are tools. And I can use those tools to further the kingdom of God. I can use those tools to bless the poor. I can use those tools to bless my family. I can use those tools because they're just tools. The tools aren't using me. My life isn't about the accumulation of wealth. My life is about honoring my God and King. And whatever He's given me, I can utilize in that effort. Whatever He's given, I can utilize. I can use those things to honor God. So as a believer, I want to conduct my life so that when this world and its wealth comes to an end, God says, Welcome home, son. Welcome home. That's the difference between lip service and reality. We've talked about this before. Is there a difference between lip service and reality? You guys have all had someone give you lip service before, haven't you? And none of us, we would all agree, none of us want to have a relationship with someone who has only given us lip service. Honey, I love you, but he never comes home. Honey, I love you, but he, he never wants to be with you. Honey, I love you, he never wants to talk to you. And when, when you bring these things up, you don't want to talk to me, you don't want to be with me, what's going on? And he says, oh, honey, I love you. Wouldn't you rather have someone who said, honey, I love you, and you could see it in what they did, how they talked, who they were, what they did. Now, there's no difference in that and every single discussion Yahweh had with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. He's saying to Israel over and over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament. What happened? I thought you said you loved me. Oh, we do. We do, but, but I met this other girl. And so I'm just going to, I just want to hang out with her for a while. But you're still number one with me, God. You're still number one. I'll be back. It's exactly the same thing. Jesus is calling the people, he's calling his disciples, he's saying to them, man, let the things you do say who you are. Right? It's easy to use words. Words, words in a lot of ways are, are easy. Right? It's, it's easy to say, hard to do. It's easy to say, I love you. Hard to do, I love you. It's easy to say, I'm sorry. Hard to do, I'm sorry. It's easy to get the words out of our mouth but it's much more difficult for my life, who I am now, to react and respond to what those words said. 
when I look at the parable, I know that the unjust steward knew he wanted to do something for judgment because he did something. He went out. If we say that we are followers of our great God and King Jesus Christ, is that reflected in our life? Is it reflected in our life? Let me put it to you like this. If an unjust guy changed his life in order to save himself, shouldn't we, as righteous in the blood of Christ, at least have that in our life? No? Shouldn't that be part of how we respond? Look to what Jesus says in verse 10. One who is faithful in little will do what? Be faithful in much, right? If you're faithful in a little, you will be faithful even if you get more. What about this? One who is dishonest in a little, what will he be? Dishonest with much. Why? Because my character's not changed by the amount. My character is not changed. If you said, if I was a cop and we busted somebody and they had a million dollars of illegal money from drugs and I, I'd steal some of that. Let me tell you, you will steal five bucks. You'll steal a quarter. You'll steal whatever because you've shown your character. No? If you'll be faithful in a little, you'll be faithful in much. If then you have not been faithful with the worldly possessions, who will entrust you with true riches? Who's given us our worldly possessions? The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 29:14, "Who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus we should be able thus to offer willingly for all things come from you, God. All things come from you and of your own we have given you. Everything I give to God is just his I'm giving back. Everything I give to God is just his that I'm giving back. If you have not been faithful, in your worldly possessions, then who will entrust you with, with more? If I can't take of what God's given me, how God's gifted me, what God has given, if I can't be the faithful steward, Pharisees, they being the faithful stewards, what has God given them? Do they have the Word of God? Do they know the Word of God? Can they recite the Word of God? Yep, all those things are true. Yep, 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 yep. Are they being faithful with what they've been given? Don't make it about money. Just see the example. See the picture. See the illustration. What are you doing with what God has given? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? If you won't be faithful with what belongs to somebody else, how do you expect to receive your own? How do you expect the whole parable story is all every bit of it is pointing to these guys who won't respond these guys who will not come in luke 12 33 jesus said this sell your possessions and give to the needy provide yourself money bags that do not grow old and a treasure in the heavens that does not fail 
where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Will we, when I said to God that I'm yours, did I just mean one day a week? Two hours on a Sunday? What did I mean? What did you mean? Did you give yourself to Him? Does all of you belong to Him? Will you allow Him to use you? Will you allow Him to minister through you? The irony of greed lies in the fact that the more people accumulate for themselves in this life, the less they have. The more you get, the less you have. According to Jesus' economy, where's my focus? What am I serving? We're building up to that idea, right? Who are you serving? Who are you serving the importance? No servant, no steward, no accountant can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. God and mammon. Don't call it money. God and your worldly possessions. You either live for your worldly possessions, or you can live for God. But you can't do both. You live for God, He becomes the focus, and the chain to your worldly possessions gets less. Or you live for your worldly possessions. That's your focus And that which would draw you to God is less. God says, if you live for your worldly possessions, you hate me. If you know that you're going to give an account before God, would you do something about that if that was your attitude? If your attitude was, my worldly possessions are between me and God. And I know it. Would you respond to that knowing? Would you respond to what is going on? Look what it says in 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard these things and ridiculed them. Oh, that's stupid. This is stupid. This is dumb. That's what he's doing. Oh, this is dumb. Pharisees are over there. This is dumb. Because they love money. The Bible says that they love to swallow up widows' houses. Widows who couldn't pay their bills, the Pharisees would come in and pay their bills and take their property. And then when the families wanted to buy it back or wanted to work something out back, or if their own parents needed something, they would say, well, you know what I owe you? I've already sworn to God as a gift to the Lord. It's called Corbin. So, oh gosh, I'm sorry, I I actually gave your house to the church. Now it belongs to the church, the synagogue, the temple. It's, it's theirs. And so they would swallow up widows. They didn't care about the widows. They didn't care about the orphans. They didn't care about the sinner. They didn't care about the broken. They cared about amassing for themselves more and more and more. And as a result of that, they can't hear what Jesus is saying. Just like the rich young ruler. Hey, Pharisees, what's separating you from being like these guys who are coming forward and and accepting the salvation that's available? What's stopping you is your stuff. What would you give? 
Let me, let me just tell you this. On the day we stand before a holy God, it's too late to ask yourself a question. On the day when it comes time to give account, it's too late to say, ooh, I was an unjust steward. God, you gave me all the stuff and I kept it for myself. I hoarded it for me. Will I allow what separates me from God? Now, maybe that's not the case for you. Obviously, it wasn't the case for the broken, was it? Was it a problem for the broken, the tax collector, the sinner? Nope. Why? They just didn't have that much. They didn't have that much stuff. So they were coming to Jesus. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. The ones that did were the ones that were finding themselves separated. So he said to them, listen to what he says, You are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your hearts, for what is exalted among men is an abomination to God. You make yourself look good to everybody else. Everybody look at him and say, Man, you guys are great. You guys are so wonderful. I can see God's blessing them. Look at their bank account. You ever thought of that? Oh, I know God's blessing. Look at all the money they have. Really? Where was that in the Bible? Where is the part in the Bible where it says, if you're being blessed by God, God gives you a bunch of money? Look at, the, look at all that they have. Look at all that's going on in their life. And so they make the assumption that that group is what holy before God looks like. And all those sinners and tax collectors, that's what the minions of hell look like. And in reality, they had it exactly backwards. This is what the righteous of God look like. And the Bible says the devil, he can masquerade himself like an angel of looking so good on the outside. Jesus is saying, you're living by the justification of men, declaring yourself justice, uh, uh, justified before man makes you justified before God. Is that how that works? If my bank account's really big and everybody says I'm a wonderful guy, that's how it works? Is that righteousness before God? The Bible says it's an abomination, which means it stinks. It smells bad. You guys have walked by abominations before, haven't you? Yeah. Every once in a while there's a dumpster somewhere or you're pretty sure somebody's hiding a dead body in? No? That's never happened to you guys? I won't tell you where the dumpster is, but you'll know if you walk by it. That's what it is to be an abomination. But look what the Lord said in verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. And since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. And everyone forces his way into it. Every, wow, Lord, so many things in here I want to be able to understand better. The law and the prophets. The age that was goes up until John. The age to come comes after him. What's the age to come? The new covenant. What's the new covenant? Well, the old covenant was the law. The new covenant was Jeremiah 31, where God's going to write his law on your hearts, where Jesus is going to come and provide a way. God's going to provide a way for you to be able to stand before a holy God justified. That's the new age. Jesus is preaching about it, isn't he? He's walking through saying, hey, the good news is preached to the 
John the Baptist says, Lord, are you really the Messiah or shall we look for another? Remember what Jesus said? Tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. Here's the one. And the gospel is preached to the poor. The gospel is preached to the poor. Why would you preach to the poor? They're the minions of hell, aren't they? The gospel is preached to the poor. So everyone forces his way into it. What does that mean? The kingdom of God is preached. And when it's preached, just like that unjust steward saw that he needed to respond, when people hear the gospel and it affects their heart, they know they need to respond. So you don't let something stop you from coming. Strive to enter the narrow gate, right? Strive to enter the narrow gate. Don't sit down and say, I don't know if that's really the Lord prompting my heart that I need to get my life right with Him. Maybe I'll wait. No, we don't do that. If the good news has been preached to the poor and you're responding to that good news, then we want to come. I'm going in the door and you aren't stopping me. I don't care how big the Pharisee is. I'm getting through the door. I promise you, if there was something on the other side of that door that you really wanted, nothing would stop you from getting through it. Is that how we see our relationship with Christ? That there's nothing more important than that relationship. I'm going through that door. I'm going through that door. Whatever I got to do, get through that door. Man, I want to... I want to come to Jesus. I want to, I want to see Him. I want to be before Him. But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than one dot of the law. So the point is, the law is still good. Paul's going to teach that over and over again. Is there something wrong with the law? Is there something wrong with thou shalt not kill? Okay, so we're all okay? Thou shalt not kill is still alright? There's a lot of times I hear people say things like, you know, we're not really under the law anymore. We're under grace. Well, what does that mean? You should kill people now? Steal from them? Commit adultery. No, those things are all still, the law is still right. Right? What did the law do? The law pointed out my guilt. The law pointed out my guilt. He's saying the law is still good. The law is still good. And then he sticks one right here, right into the Pharisee's heart. He said, Jesus says, the law is still good. It still exists. Not one jot or tittle will pass away. The law is still good. Okay, Pharisees, you say you're holy, you're righteous, you're just. Jesus said, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. What's he pointing to? He's talking about the reality in their time and ours, where people decided their wife or husband wasn't what they wanted anymore, so they divorced them so that they could marry another. And the Pharisees told them it was okay. And Jesus said, you're just masking adultery. The law is still the law. You're just covering it up. You're just masking it. You're pretending it's not there. So, it's like the master coming to the unjust steward and saying, Hey, you've been ripping me off. You've been ripping me off. You know that this is what the Word of God says, and this is what you've been doing You're going to give account tomorrow. And they're standing over on the side saying, No, we didn't. We're good. We don't want to do that. Listen, the next story ties it all together. We can't get there today. The next story is this. The rich man and Lazarus. 
What happens to one? One guy goes to hell, and one guy to Abraham's bosom, heaven. Heaven or hell? Heaven or hell? Heaven or hell? That's the next story. He's going to talk about a guy who had it all, had all the money, had all the stuff, right? He's saying to the Pharisees, man, we're pretending, you're pretending. We still do those kind of things, right? We pretend like, well, this is okay and that's okay and we're going to rewrite the Bible. You don't get to rewrite, the Bible says what it says. The Bible says what it says. People don't like my counsel. I don't have to do very much anymore. What do you mean? Well, when they come, I say, well, this is what the Bible says. And they say, well, I don't want to hear that. I don't know what else you want to do. I can't just justify your sin. Well, what if I'm guilty? Well, what does the Bible say? What do I do if I'm guilty? I repent. Lord, forgive me. What does God promise to do if I confess my sin? What does He promise? To forgive me. Does He promise to forgive me if I won't? If I say, I didn't sin. I haven't done anything wrong. Do you see the different attitude? Tax collectors, sinners, flocking to Jesus, falling to their knees. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the attitude that gets you to heaven. Pharisees standing over on the side. I have no sin. I'm righteous. That's the attitude that gets you to hell. Does it make sense? I hope. I know it's difficult. Maybe if you have more questions, I'll be at coffee tomorrow morning. You can hammer me with them. But this is what the Word of God is laying out for us. It all flows through 15 to 16 and on. And we'll keep tying it together if you keep coming. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you that we have the freedom to study your word. But God, I pray that we would not be like the Pharisees. We would not be like the religious people who didn't let the word of God affect them. They just hear it and they see this strange response from other people, but it's always somebody else's response. God, I pray that it would be our response. Lord, you're calling me to have a real relationship with you. That means when I fail, and I do, I confess my sin to you and you forgive me. That you never run out of forgiveness because the blood of Jesus Christ can wash me clean from all my sin. But the attitude of repentance means that I acknowledge my sin. That I, like that tax collector, stand before a holy God and say, Have mercy on me, a sinner. God, I'm a mess. Help me. And every day, God, you will give me by your spirit the strength to be a new man, a better man. But that strength hinges on my willingness to respond to you. God, if if we, the church, what would happen if we all just responded? We all just said, Lord, I am guilty. God, forgive me. Fill me with your spirit. Help me be a new man tomorrow. Would we be a better husband? Would we be a better father? Would we be a better friend? Would we be a better believer? Or are we standing on the sideline like a Pharisee? Saying, I'm all good. When they were guilty themselves of covering the sins of men by the commandments of men, teaching the traditions of men, not the commandments of God. 
Because God said, if you divorce just to marry somebody else, that's just adultery covered up. It's just adultery covered up. We play silly little games with the truth of God. But the truth of God doesn't change. And the truth of God is not designed to be a bat to beat us. The truth of God is designed to say, I need to submit to it. I I need to make my desires bow to what the Word of God says. I need to make I, I need myself to bow before the holiness of God. Lord, here I am a sinner. Forgive me and help me be the man you want me to be. If you're struggling and loving your spouse, then ask Jesus. Come confess that attitude and ask Jesus to give you the love you need to love them. If you're struggling with alcohol or addiction or whatever, you've got to confess that and ask Jesus, God, fill me. And don't get tired of asking. Because Jesus doesn't get tired of hearing your dependence upon Him. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Every day, every moment, that is the recipe to an exalted life. To an abundant life. Not I can do this on my own. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. God, move by your spirit through this church. Bring us into submission to the truth of your word and into submission with you. God, as we come, God, I pray we'd come in an attitude of repentance, confession, being forgiven, and then empowered, not just constantly bringing up the the bad, but being empowered by your spirit to overcome. And who were the overcomers? Those who believed Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The key to overcoming is in Jesus Christ. Lord, give us that as we honestly come to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.